0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. You know the drill. If you're listening, hit that subscribe button, share with a friend, help us grow. Today in the booth, we got a special guest. His name is John Gans. Uh, full disclosure John Gans and I used to work together at Genius. He's currently a freelance writer, he has a Substack, and he's working on a book. The reason I wanted to bring him on is because there are two things in tension that we've mentioned. In past episodes, and I think live and breathe in politics today, that's caste and Marxism. John is here to argue on the Marxist side. I'm here to argue on the caste side. Marxism holds that capitalism is the real problem. Caste holds that what we understand as racism is the real problem. We, we argue with each other. We get into the history, give you the full context, but it's a good episode, I thought, and I think that you'll enjoy it as well. So kick back and listen up. This pod, I wanted to bring you on to talk about Marxism a little bit. And the past couple of episodes, I've been talking without even saying the words caste, I've been talking about caste for a long time. And I think Marxism resonates with everybody without them even knowing it. I think that just any and all critiques about the capitalist class, big money in politics, or even the base of Occupy Wall Street, the Bernie movement, I think these are all Marxist analysis. And folks don't even know to trace it back to Marx. Yeah. You know, I I've, I would want to kind of kick off and talk about that a little bit more because even Farb and I have talked about, oh, well, there's, we have a capitalist critique, but also like race has something to do with it. Are they, sure. you know, kind of uh, in confluence and, and, and uh, you know, with the bigger problem? Like what's going on there?
1: It's very hard to avoid some kind of Marxist analysis when you just look at the way politics and power works in our society. I mean, is. Marxist- Going back to the beginning at the first line of the Communist Manifesto is the history of all hitherto existing societies is the history of class struggle. And Marx believes that, you know, political, intellectual, spiritual products in our society are, are determined by, you know, the struggle between classes and those classes fit in in various ways into the way society produces and reproduces. And that's the, the key insight of, of his political analysis and i think that that is
2: correct i have a question i I feel like ed's gonna jump in here but i thought that was really interesting how you said classism is kind of like the base of every struggle and that's like the the principal marxism thing and i'm i'm wondering in my head it's like when marx marx wrote that like is the worldview he went through that probably was the only view he could see it through i mean i don't know how many other experiences within oppression and caste and hierarchical status are as similar to the american one that very much is on a colorism, racism lens.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, de- okay, so so there is a certain parochial or narrow part of early Marxism, which is bec- looking at everything through the history of Europe, right? And it's it looked at the hi- history of industrial development, mostly in England, and the history of political revolutionary tradition, mostly in France, and then the history of philosophical tradition, mostly in Germany, And it synthesized these three European uh, traditions into a single body of knowledge. Its perspective on the rest of the world is in its earliest form pretty unsophisticated and crude in certain ways. In other ways, has the beginnings of some rather more advanced thinking about it. Marx, you know, I think, did not contain within his, his writings a very sophisticated understanding of the problem of race. He did understand... Slavery was an economic system and considered it to be part of the old reactionary world that he hoped to see destroyed but there is a certain Eurocentrism parochialism about Marx's understanding of history but Marx was influential to a number of people in the African diaspora if you want to call it that a lot of black uh, intellectuals who there's a great book um, by this guy, Cedric Robinson, Black Marxism. And he says that that uh, a group of black scholars and, and, and writers created their own tradition using Marx, but correcting the excessive focus on Europe and realizing that the Marxist analytic could be renovated with attention to the transatlantic slave trade, the slave revolts, and the history of reconstruction. So there is a synthesis that happens between Marxism and a tradition of black liberation.
0: I think this brings us to a really interesting point. Karl Marx, whatever, for all his shortcomings in 1830 something, I'm not here to like trot on on Karl Marx or whatever for his, his lack of sophistication of analysis around race and power. Sure. But it brings up an interesting point that I think you have this black wing of Marxism that are starting to bring that, but it's still within the tradition of Marxist Leninists with racism or white supremacy being a Product of worker alienation right. or some extreme, intricate form of worker alienation. Which you know is that where it comes from? Alienation
1: that they're saying. The, okay, so so there's two approaches to this problem. They're, they're, okay, so so what you see, and I think is the less sophisticated view of this, and you see this in the contemporary left, and I, I think unfortunately in certain ways, is that racism is an ideological myth created by the capitalist class to divide workers. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, okay, you know, there's some truth to that, I'm sure. Then, but R- Robinson points out the black Marxist tradition came to a different understanding of race, a more, and I think a more sophisticated understanding of race, which was that actually the racial system, I think the more sophisticated Marxist interpretation says, look, and this is from Du Bois, who, who had the idea of a psychological wage of whiteness, Right. was that yeah. no matter what happens, white supremacy ensures that white people are not on the very bottom of the social order, and it provides a psychological wage, a feeling of security, and this is the way, it, so white supremacy has certain actual benefits to white people, You know, aside from you know, political and economic supremacy, but even people, even white people towards the bottom of it have advantages from, from the white supremacist system and buy into it, not because they're getting fooled by the capitalist class, but they actually recognize their interests are being taken care of, maybe not in the best way possible, but but in some way, and you know this tradition of analysis goes up now through Tony Hussey Coates, who who shares that yeah. you know sh- shares that view. I'll
0: just put a pin in that. I think he's saying something different. But I'll go. I will no, go I would I
1: really point. love to hear your interpretation. I think I think that now we're getting into my own opinions. Yeah. Because because of the way white supremacy works in the U.S., it works in ways we don't fully always see, and it creates. Always a distinction between for, two, two forms of citizenship. And this creates always giving black concerns or minority concerns second rate. So what happens is, is that even black people are not fully considered workers. Working class always comes with, or often comes with an understanding that, that mostly white, I mean, mostly white people, we're talking about blue collar white guys. And black people kind of have to get along and kind of subordinate their, their complaints and views to the interests of the working class, which is coded as mostly white. Um, I think conservatives do this and some Marxists do this. I think that this is a insidious part of American ideological tendency to always
2: say that there
1: is something wrong or disruptive or bad or about a black political claim but even when a white political claim is very uncivil, destructive, there's a lot of effort in media and culture to sim- find something sympathetic about it. So this is what I observe is in American political culture, there's a constant degradation of black citizenship. And I think Marxists do this, conservatives do this, liberals do this in certain ways. I think that this is why even though I'm very sympathetic with Marxism, I think I remain something more of a Democrat, a small d Democrat, because I think that the most important thing is the political rights of all people and that the political rights, because we're always facing a civil situation where the political rights of black people are a threat or degraded through either actual degradation of uh, of the Voting Rights Act or the discursive, constant weakening and second guessing of the of the civic participation of black people that we really need right, to focus right. politically and that the answering this by saying okay we're going to just make sure everybody gets equal part of the welfare state and so on and forth which will benefit black people i think there's a there's a unique on top of the social problem of black poverty there is a political problem about black political representation in the public sphere and how that is constantly degraded.
2: John, I, I feel I feel like in just like a simplistic way, just to bring back something you said. I just think that whether it's conscious or subconscious, if you're falling into the Marxism bucket, there, there there's also a play of like, what can we win at most? Right. And you might have a consciously this this might be the best plan, or subconsciously, but just knowing our setup and also knowing, look. On a on a numbers basis, there are more white working class workers just on a numbers basis. I guess my po- my point being is that I'm just saying someone's made a very deliberate strategy in the same way that our, our dude, the congressman in South Carolina, made a strategy with Biden, right? That he was going to lean, you know, it's like people, people lean in a certain way wherever they feel like they can effectuate the most power. And I think that's what a lot of Marxists do within this because the deeper level is just that much harder to go down.
1: But it's not, it's, it's a bad calculus because white working voters have not voted for Democrats or on the left or center left. For a very long time facts and black working class voters are a very loyal constituency so the idea that you would want to do you would want to eject uh, or or risk your most loyal constituency for one that you're not even sure you could win to me is foolish it's also based on a myth it's always based on this myth of the white working class and of a white worker this you know blue collar guy alienated down on his luck you know and it's never like that That myth of heroic American working classness is always this white guy, white man. And it's never... That's very rarely either given to women. I mean, I guess there's Rosie the Riveter. But it's very rarely given to, to, to black men and black women. Even when, you know, in the actual professions... Not professions, but the actual jobs that are working classes are often filled by by, by black people and, and other minorities. So it's just like who gets worker is, a, is not only a class position, but it's a social status. I think it should be a class position and we should recognize black people are obviously workers, but there is this right. continual, because worker is such a hot, in a weird way, in the way Marxists think, in the way even conservatives think, because we valorize the working class.
2: The OG it, Bernie.
1: Yeah, because worker is such an, a high status figure, there is a real effort not to not to give black people the status worker, because that comes with a political claims. And citizenship claims. Right. Worker and citizen are, are very intertwined, especially in social democracy and, and left labor movements. So the citizenship, this is, again, for me, goes back to citizenship. And I want to talk about that. In-
0: You're touching on caste. Yeah, you've, well, this you've is, done, yeah. You've been doing it this whole time. Caste, John. yeah. The,
1: the caste <laughs> book.
2: So John's a caste guy, he's not a Marxist
1: No, guy. no, no. I, wouldn't, I would say not. I'm a, I would say I actually read the Wilkerson book this week. And I yeah. I thought hey. I, was, I thought a lot of it was very insightful but I had very serious criticisms of her mm-hmm. of of her Can we hear that?
0: Yeah, before we get into that. Last thing on Marxism, Farb touched on this, oh if we could just the united working class against the 1%, the Bernie movement, or even just the logic of just mobilizing large numbers of the electorate in order to win at the ballot is is this not just like the most this most sort of a teleological notion? Is this not just some sort of romantic yeah. fantasy that is completely ahistorical and has never ever happened? Yeah. Teleology is just sort of looking at something, analyzing it as a function, pursuant towards an end. Sort of looking at an end and working backwards telling history that way right you know sort of cobbling together a useful history in order to echo to present times and you know to sort of buttress a presentist argument
2: teleology damn teleology yeah so it's
0: really interesting i i think a lot of you know contemporary neo-marxism or even orthodox marxism is pretty romantic and is antithetical to the actual chronology that's a good critique of history. One of the biggest things that I love from Marx is, you know, dialectical materialism. Right. You touched on this, Gans, that things are there's a lot of things banging against each other during the time that produces these huge historical events. Rather than ideas washing over like a wave and pushing history forward, there's tension and things talking to each other. Wait, what's dialectical
2: materialism? Is that what you're just explaining?
1: Yeah, historical and dialectical materialism are like the uh, the philosophical the terms for the f- philosophical analytic of Marxism when it comes to you know historical events. I I agree with you. I think that there is a there is a romantic and teleological and eschatological you know like religious almost aspect of marxism
0: exactly farb here's here's an example of teleology or teleological history rather in the movie the fred hampton movie the hbo movie he remember him and and what's the boy they go over they crash the uh confederate flag white poor meeting or something sure and and his boy's like yo why are we here why are we here fuck these guys and 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 then fred hampton's like well well, what if <laughs> he said, "Well, what if the overseers and the slaves had banded together against the slave master? Wouldn't that have been made things different?" That is the most romantic fictional it's silly. Uh, rendering of it's completely silly, right? Or also something more something more serious. I laughed that, at that moment by the way. That's a cartoonish example, but one of uh, I think a more scholarly example is Matt Carp's really long article, it may be a book by now, um about the mass politics of anti-slavery that he wrote for Catalyst, which is part of Jacobin or in partnership with Jacobin. And one of the things, this is not where his whole argument rests on, but one of the things he says, there's evidence that before the Civil War uh, kicked off that the you know, the radical Republicans and the anti-slavery North were working with enslaved people and they were, they were revolting the same time, you know, the anti-slavery folks in the North were going to the ballot box and they were in coalition together before the civil war mm, happened, Yeah, that's before fascinating. the Emancipation Proclamation happened. That's one of his arguments and, and Eric Foner's like picking that shit apart. He's like, I, this sounds like a sleight of hand, Matt, like right. you, I'd have to see actual evidence. There's no hard evidence for that right so but you can see the marxist romantic i absolutely hear you you know not uh, sort of you yeah. know uh, uh, logic in that yes. and you could oh wow maybe that did happen in the civil war that is not yes. what happened in the yes. civil war yes. right <laughs> so like so that is teleological right. right that is like you're you're looking at it as a function of its ends and you're working backwards to say oh here's the narrative rather than what actually happened. this
1: potential always exists because you have a, the end of history in mind already you're always looking right where black and white workers come together you're always seeing and i do think it actually happens but you, you're mm-hmm. always trying to read that back into history and not actually seeing where the where the conflicts were so yeah that approach i think is problematic in all the ways that you're saying when you don't analyze what actually happened like the problems that you're
2: dealing with and the solutions you're dealing with are not real. Let's get into cast. Yeah, yeah, let's get in the cast. Because like, look, Gans, Ed talks about cast every single week. Sure. So for any of our continuous <laughs> listeners, for someone to come in and give like an, a bit of a dissection on another side is like super fascinating. Because we actually haven't, we're, we've been basically just standing cast very hard. Yeah. So I'm very curious of like, some of the things that maybe didn't fully equate to you. Just
0: to sort of lay the background a little bit, like i mentioned this book called Caste by Isabel Wilkerson. Isabel Wilkerson is an author that wrote, a decade ago she wrote a book called The Warmth of Other Suns. And it's about the great migration from six million African-Americans from the South, which uh, my grandparents and dads included in those six million, to the North to escape the Jim Crow South. And in, in her writing about the Jim Crow South and the caste system, she started more focusing on the systemic part of, of the country in, in caste instead of sort of race and right. skin color and quote unquote hatred and that led her to this book. And what she does is she compares three caste systems. India's caste system, which is the longest caste system I think in the world. In
1: history, yeah. In
0: history, right? Uh the American caste system and then also Nazi Germany's caste system. Mm. Uh you know during World War II, right? So she takes those three, bangs them against each other and picks out the parallels and then sort of historicizes them. Right. Her main thing is that race and racism, it's just sort of this, these words have been so used and misused and defined in different ways that they're almost meaningless at this point and don't really say anything and nobody agrees what they mean. So she kind of shakes up and says, no, listen,
1: let's use this other term. Let's
0: use this other term. And there's actually this other structure that's undergirding everything called caste. Right. And race is a product or an invention of American jurisprudence it is a, is a complete is it's sort of a social political civic invention of the laws that we've used to organize mm-hmm. slavery and society in in times of the thirteen colonies, before the American Revolution, and and it even cemented and steepened in, in the antebellum South. So caste is the thing that we've all internalized as race uh, to as race, and thinking race is real. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that she proves is like, I bet it's almost you know it, with the reader, it's like here's how you know you've internalized caste. Right. This this statement sounds shocking to you. There are no black people in Africa. Right, right. You know how you say how crazy that sounds, and how people be like, "What are you talking about?" Africa is an entire continent of black people. No, because race, as we understand it in America, is an American invention, right. and it is pursuant to a particular legal system and structure based in America, of which we name the different cast: the upper cast as white, and the bottom cast as black. And then you get massive immigration to create these sort of middle castes. Yeah, yeah. That and that gets some get absorbed up into the upper caste that is white, like you know, Irish, Jews, and Italians over time. But it's the it is the caste system that remains the problem and uh needs to be needs to be sort of looked at. And my contention is that here's here's the bomb. Here's the bomb that I'm about to drop. Sure. For so long I, you know, subscribe to sort of Marxist analysis and critiques of capitalism. But reading a ton of Tanahashi codes. Yeah. And reading most recently Joseph Schumpeter, but also Isabel Wilkerson, brings it home, and I say that it is caste that is the origin of all our problems, and capitalism has nothing to do. It it works with caste, but capitalism is not the origin of the problem of America. It is, in fact, caste. We can leave. If we fix caste, it fixes, oh, that's it fixes capitalism. That's interesting. That's my big yeah. You know, bomb that I, I I wanted to drop.
1: I don't think so. I I think okay. <laughs> Give it to him, Gans. I like you made it. a much better case for for the book, I think, and I'm I'm persuaded more by its argument from from hearing what you said. I okay. So, but but my problem remains, which is I believe what and and I I come from a kind of third position here between the Marxist, we need to get rid of capitalism, and the, cat and the caste, we need to get rid of the psychological structure of of caste. Mm. I think, yeah, intellectually, there's a lot of important work done by repl- by taking our old concepts and critiquing them and saying this: we need to do a critique of our old concepts because they are. Where do they actually come from? And it's a it's a fascinating observation to be like, well, look, the uh, the origin of this concept is in this legal structure, and we can't use this concept that was made in this legal structure to fully understand it. We need another concept that contains it. So that, I mean, is the correct intellectually instinct, I think. But I wonder. My critique is sort of like, well, are we just replacing terms with terms, right? Are we just finally coming up? Are we just playing this word language games where we're just coming up with new terms? And it actually, yeah, it's like, okay, well, we re, we we redescribe it as cast. That tells us something important and new about it, and we see things that maybe we have not seen before. But what what work does it do? I think probably for the middle-class white and black people who read the book, it will change their manners, right? It will change the way they interact in, in ways that I think will probably make both of their lives better because there'll be less sadism, less humiliation, more respect. And I don't think those are bad things and and more of an awareness of these, of these social problems. I think in terms of capitalism, unbridled capitalism, because of its requirement of subordination, will always create structures that are harmful to democratic rights of citizenship either in the case of making it difficult for people to participate in the system or making it so that certain groups have huge amounts of power in the system and other groups have very little power in the system because of wealth though i think there's a democratic imperative to limit and restrain capitalism Mm -hmm. whether or not we can create a society without any kind of private ownership or collectivization i don't know i do think that the democratic spirit, if you will, has to maintain a hostile and suspicious stance. stance towards the forces of capital, but we also coexist with it, obviously. So that's my feeling about the question of capital, mm-hmm. but I don't trust it. You know, I don't think there is a capitalism. I think that capitalism will... Oh,
2: is that the modern, like, like? that was actually going to be my question. Is that kind of where the, the modern Marxist kind of lives for the most part? In Depends that, like,
1: who you ask. I'm probably more... I think look people are going to own businesses and want to do their own thing and, and those are not always bad for people and I don't it's a little bit of a you know a synthesis between marxism and being just a liberal democrat I think a lot of marxism marxists even democratic socialists it's a difference between social democracy and democratic socialism maybe democratic socialists think that Dem- through democratic memes we'll finally collectivize the economy get rid of capitalism the social democrats think so the New Deal would be a more of the social democratic way where it's like, okay, we're going to have a mixed economy where there's some communal things, some private things. We try to keep these things in balance. Mm. But I guess I, I lean – I don't know about collectivization and ending capitalism, but I do definitely am not a proponent or friend of capital mm-hmm. as a social force, a political force, even sometimes when the forces of capital seem to be on the side of progress because we see – More black entrepreneurship and more integration of blacks in the upper middle class, you have to be suspicious because there is always the creation of new forms of sub capitalism. Is and I think this is where the black Marxist tradition is very acute. Mm -hmm. Capitalism relies on the creation of new forms of subordination and the creation of new worker relationship of domination between people. So even when the black middle class is being liberated the question has to become what is happening to black workers mm. i think that's my that's my own politics or my own political theory
0: yeah
1: i don't think either the caste model although it's super important to 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 rethink the way we our attitudes and our way we conduct ourselves in interpersonal ways because that fundamentally is going to affect the way people think of themselves as citizenships and think of themselves and others as first class or second class citizens so i use the con- conception of citizenship as the container to solve these problems I, and there are very good marxist and i'm sure critiques that that could be made of this but this is my particular solution that i have come up with for myself
0: all right peep this here's my last pushback peep this i'm gonna okay so the civil war i think you could just the civil war just this is you could just Trace it on back to the Civil War. Eh, more things, but the Civil War illustrates the, the biggest division here in this country. I think that free soil ideology, the creation of the Republican Party in the North, which was the sort of the, the base of the anti-slavery movement, was actually a pro-capital capitalist movement, yeah. right? So it's sort of like, and it's obviously, you know, it cannot be untied from settler colonialism and the removal of of Native land, right? So that's that's one thing, right? But the North going to war to to restrict slavery, to eventually abolish slavery was a pro-capitalist, you know, mobilization. People say the South is like pre-capitalist and feudal and that kind of stuff. It's not. Caste is, is feudal. I think caste is a downstream product of our monarchical past. Right. Greece and Rome and European aristocracy. But like what the South is fighting for, and I want to own in on the citizenship point of yours, race is meant to categorize types of citizenship the how we use race in the census historically is white is meant to say this is the category for free people for citizenship black as a race is a different form of citizenship in fact it's non-citizenship it's it's sort of like legal death like that's what right. black and white those are those categories and what the south is fighting for the south is still capitalist right they're they're agrarian they have an agrarian economy but what they're fighting for is not capitalism they're fighting for caste in a white nationalist citizenship yes so you know what i mean so it's like capitals on the right side of history in in the civil war in that way and on and in, in in the south they're fighting for their caste society which rests on a type of agrarian capitalism but what they're fighting for is white citizenship and here's what happens right you you get you get into the you know the late years of the civil war and you get the 13th amendment and the 14th amendment right i just watched the movie lincoln this past weekend with my dad and you you, you get to see it, it takes place where lincoln that the senate has passed the 13th amendment but lincoln has to push it through the house right and the 13th amendment and the 14th amendment but what everybody forgets is that The southern states who seceded were not in Congress. 14th amendment, which is the crown jewel of citizenship. That's what American citizenship is. It's the 14th amendment. The Southern states were not in Congress and not represented to pass it. It would have never passed if the Southern states were in Congress and represented. The only reason it, it gets ratified is because it gets ratified at gunpoint, you know, through military right. occupation and readmittance into the union. So then you, you get them into the union. So there is zero reason why you you wouldn't connect the South coming in and the fall of reconstruction putting in in sort of black codes and erecting Jim Crow, it is all about citizenship. And even to this day, the raid on the Capitol, Trump's rise, it is about citizenship, who gets it and who doesn't get it. And it is irreconcilable.
1: With the caste system.
0: No, I think it is the caste system, actually. The caste, caste is just a... Is just sort of the structure of who gets citizen citizenship and who doesn't. Who getting so I think I that really is the problem rather than capitalism. I don't think capitalism fuels that. I think caste stands on its own as a, as a feudal product of our monarchical past.
1: I agree with you, and it's very close to my exact politics and beliefs. But I will make one thing.
0: We'll let you get the last word. Go ahead.
1: I want to make a, a case for a more anti-capitalist conception of citizenship. And politics here okay because i think that there is you're absolutely right that there are sometimes fractions of the bourgeoisie of the capitalist class associate themselves with a progressive change in society politically so obviously you have capitalists and members of the middle classes and the upper middle classes associating with progressive forces and that's why you know doing a marxist analysis requires recognizing that but the south was integrated into its own part of the capitalist economy. And they were capitalists. They were using credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were absolutely. getting vast amounts of capital, which they reinvested in, in more plantations and more slaves. So it was it wasn't just like, oh, feudal reproduction. It was capitalist production. And they were they were integrated into the into the trade system and the industrial system in, in England. And there are struggles. There are always struggles within capitalism between different parts of the capitalist classes. That happens. And I think the key is to identify The parts of the bourgeoisie of the capitalist classes that do have progressive leanings. And then there is always this super reactionary part of capital, which is requires the oldest and most brutal forms of subordination Mm -hmm. in order to reproduce itself. And that's what the slave system was, in my view. And there is obviously politically, we always have to say, we're never going to get rid of the bourgeoisie in one fell swoop. We have to say, where are the forces in our society that are progressive? We can make a coalition, an alliance to get rid of the worst forms of domination and where and who is supporting and trying to maintain those forms of domination. And that's where we make our political choices. So that's how I would try to encourage a slightly more anti-capitalist, because I think you'll find capital on the side of, of the most regressive parts of society often, as well as on the progressive side. I
0: dig that. So that brings us up to today. Can universal basic income be the tie that lifts all boats and end racism? Can we use Marxist policy to end racism and bring down the sort of MAGA faction of the Republican Party? Farb would say yes.
1: It has to be both. What I think can happen, and I think happened in the New Deal, which, you know, there's been a critique about the racial aspects of the New Deal, which is right. which is smart.
2: But there's another it part He talks of, about it every episode. <laughs>
1: but I would say probably almost every universalist's move to redistribution- that alleviates the plight of the poorest people makes them more available for political life. And that to me is a good, Mm -hmm. but I understand that needs to be those, that political organization part and the social redistribution need to go hand in hand. It's not just, Oh, we're going to give people stuff and they will shut up. Mm -hmm. Right. It's we give, we take away the, the worst social deprivation. Mm -hmm. And then people assert, even more claims for themselves and say, Mm -hmm. well, this is not enough. Like, okay, now you let me live, but that's not enough for me. I, I deserve stronger political representation. I deserve, we deserve all these different other forms of human dignity and good. So I am always in favor of if I had buttons in front of me right now, I would just be (laughs) like, yeah, universal healthcare, (laughs) all these things. And I am always in favor of the most broad based universalistic redistribution of wealth possible and always in favor of the strongest political power to as many people as possible
0: all right that's a good place to end it Farm, you last word for him
2: well i i was just gonna be like an asshole like a statement which is just sure. in the sense of like i just i always find it funny to me because like i think like most of us can understand like universal and a lot of things in democratic socialism but like the full board like marxist it's almost like you know, the, the, the asshole like, statement would be like, well, why don't you just move to Venezuela or Cuba? Like, if you're all in, go inject yourself with the real thing. Um, you're opening so it up a can like, of
0: worms, for We don't have another 30 minutes. I know,
1: I know, I know, I know. That's why I didn't
2: want to go into But it. I'm not
1: an authoritarian, you know. Right, I'm, there you I'm, go. I'm, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Right. So I think that's we,
0: we got to have Gans back. You know, we can talk about the Soviet Union and, you know, yeah. right? <laughs> the Leninism, like Stalinism, like all of that stuff, we, which Marxists refute. But um, this is a, this. I think this was a good place to. Uh, this is a big topic. We just covered a lot of ground. But Gans, I appreciate you coming on, brother. I, I'm so glad that you read Isabel Wilkinson's book. I would pair it. I mentioned Joseph Schumpeter.
1: Yeah.
0: His he has an essay called "The Sociology of, of Imperialism." Have you heard of that?
1: Oh no, I haven't read that, but I've heard of it. And yeah. I, I that. yeah. That yeah.
0: is that that talks more about the atavism and our hair our ancestral uh social forces of the monarchical state and, and and that goes into caste very well that sort of do, that, that goes into it really well so i'll say I'll, I'll text that to you
1: one thing eddie funnily enough you have a very mar- a certain very marxist perspective in the end in the end which Ooh. is because <laughs> because marx thought that capitalism was going to get rid of all of the old forms of social domination and replace it only with proletarian and worker mm-hmm. so you you being pro friendly to capitalism because it will lead to the destruction of racism is actually a very marxist idea really it, it's a, a certain Marx part of the marxist tradition not and mar, other marxists qualified that but you are still a marxist i'm sorry to tell you <laughs>
2: <laughs> Com- comrade yo. comrade professor yo. Yeah, comrade- <laughs>
0: yo, yo, i've been duped now nah, this is good there's a perfect perfect way to end it maybe i am all right we're gonna we're gonna take this chat offline gans uh but we're gonna end it here um but appreciate Thanks, you appreciate you coming oh, my on pleasure. my pleasure we'll, my absolute
1: pleasure this we'll definitely great. have
0: you back um i'd love to come back all right all right y'all peace